1: God has no desire to put a Band-Aid on our problems. He would much rather get to the real issue of the problem.
2: Your truth. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today, we continue our study in John chapter six, starting a message titled, A Grip of Fear. Are you afraid of anything?
1: Now, according to the dictionary, to be afraid is to have an intense feeling of fear. It's to be frightened. It can blind us. It can cause us to be timid. It can cause us to be apprehensive. Maybe you fear being alone in the dark or hearing a noise in the middle of the night and that gives you just the heebie-jeebies. Yes, we can all be frightened at times. Or maybe you can find yourself subject to certain phobias. Now, a phobia is defined as irrational and an excessive, a persistent fear of a particular thing or situation. If you're not sure if you have any phobias, well, consider these. There's atomophobia. That's the fear of atomic explosions. I'm pretty sure I have this one myself, okay? Because I've never met an atomic explosion that I've ever liked, okay? Just saying. And then there are those really strange and bizarre phobias like ablutophobia. That's the fear of bathing. I hope none of us here have that phobia, okay? But in case you do have that phobia, please stay away from the person who has a That's the fear of body smells. Yeah, you two aren't gonna mesh real good together. And then there's electrophobia. That's the fear of chickens. Now, this person cannot go eat at El Pollo Loco because the crazy chicken just might put them over the edge, okay? Then there's blenophobia. That's the fear of slime. Now, depending on what kind of slime it is, I could possibly have this phobia, like walking down the staircase and, you know, your hand slides across something slimy on the handrail. Okay, that's just simply gross. And then there's the fear that almost every child has to endure, and that's boogieophobia. That's right. That's the fear of the boogeyman. See, my brother was three years older than me, and he instructed me on the fact that the boogeyman lived under my bed. And he said, you have to sleep in the middle of your bed because the boogeyman, his arms only so long. So if you sleep in the middle, he can't reach you. So every night as a little child, I'm like this going to bed in the center of my bed. Yes, it was horrible. Then there's carniophobia. I definitely don't have this phobia because that's the fear of meat. Okay. I don't have that. Now there's venustrophobia. That is the fear of beautiful women. I don't have that phobia. Why? Because I married a beautiful woman. Yes. Then there's walloonophobia. I could never have this phobia because it's the fear of walloons. I don't even know what a walloon is. Okay. And if you have that fear, just get over it already. All right. Anyway, then there's the worst phobia of all. That's panonophobia. And that's the fear of everything. You're just a fear of everything. Well, most people have a fear of something. Even Jesus's own disciples, they're recorded as having phasmophobia. And that's the fear of ghosts. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. As you remember from our last time in John chapter 6, Jesus had fed 5,000. Now, That was 5,000 men only, wasn't counting the wives and the children. So we could have had at least 15 or 20,000 people here. And we're told that he fed it with a young boy's lunch of five loaves and two fish. That all happened when the disciples, as you remember, were trying to get away from the crowds. Jesus said, let's go to the other side and be alone for some time. Yes, the disciples needed much needed rest, you could say. They had been running 24-7, but the little time that they had set aside to get away, it never happened. It ended up being a long, exhausting day of ministry because when they landed the boat, everyone saw Jesus. They all grabbed around and just everything went out of control. Well, with all of that in mind as a backdrop, we will consider today three points in light of our title, the grip of fear. Number one, the darkness of fear. Because there's a darkness that encompasses our lives when we are allowing ourselves to be fearful and afraid. Number two, his all-seeing eyes. God sees everything and knows what we're afraid of. And number three, trials that teach. Whenever we're going through a hardship, a difficulty, a trial, they're there for one reason, to teach us to look to him. Well, let's look at our first point, the darkness of fear. As we read together, starting where we left off last time in John chapter 6, we'll pick up in verse 16. It says, now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. This is after they fed these 20,000 people. It's late that night now. They went down to the Sea of Galilee, verse 17. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up, and because of a strong wind was blowing, verse 19, and when therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And they were willing therefore to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land at which they were going. Well, we'll stop there. Now, notice we have all the elements here of a scary scenario building up. First, it was dark. And then the sea was stirred up with a strong wind blowing. The wind was full of noise as the boat was being tossed to and fro. Now, could you imagine how creepy this must have been in the middle of the night? And let us not forget that the disciples were already exhausted. It was another busy day. Again, thousands of people pressing in to see Jesus. Now they find themselves rowing for miles, yet they're not getting anywhere. You know, it says that they rode for three or four miles. That should have been enough to get them to where they were going but the wind was pushing them farther south on the Sea of Galilee. Now they can't see the land, not sure where they are. Plus they're completely spent. Again, it's pitch dark and the wind is making spooky noises. That's why at the end of verse 19, it says, they were frightened that word in the original Greek language means that they were literally terrified. I mean, their knees were shaking. They see Jesus walking, but they don't know it's him. Yet I'm not sure we can get the full impact here without a few more details that John left out on his account of this event. So let's turn over to the gospel of Mark chapter 6, to see what he had to say about the exact same event. Remember, the disciples picked up all the leftovers of feeding the 5,000. That's when Jesus instructed them to get into the boat. Now let's read Mark's account of this same event, starting in Mark chapter 6. We'll pick up in verse 45. It says and immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, the Lord's watching them. For the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. And he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him, and they were frightened. But immediately Jesus spoke with them, and he said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind stopped and they were greatly astonished for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. See, there's a a tremendous more details here. You're thinking, well, how did Mark have more details than John? Well, we have to remember that every day with Jesus, there was crazy stuff happening everywhere. And so imagine this, 365 days out of the year, crazy stuff, crazy stuff, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Okay, so when afterwards they're writing all this stuff down and and, and taking record of all these things and writing these letters, it's like, oh my goodness, they're thinking back. But I mean, there was 10 things that were happening that day. So I'm only giving this many details on this and this many details on that. So it's easy for them to leave out some details that maybe another one of them picked up. So it's pretty obvious, but this definitely adds to our story here that we're looking at today. And it's much needed details. Now notice after they picked up all the leftovers from feeding the multitudes, which we saw last time to be what? It was 12 full baskets of leftovers. And that of course was a detail of great encouragement to you and to me. It tells us that when God provides for us, he provides more than what we need, that he provides abundantly, always, always, always more. I'm not sure what your plight and your position is here today. I don't know if any of your personal circumstances, I don't know where they're at, but we need to understand without any hesitation, as we continue to seek after and cling to the promises of God in our own personal difficulties, that our God will always meet and he will always exceed our needs. The apostle Paul put it like this in Philippians 4.19. He says, And my God shall supply all of your your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, God never runs out of provision. It's never like, oh, gee, it's not like our parents. Hey, Dad, you got like a dollar for the ice cream truck? Uh, no. Okay. It's not like that. I mean, whenever we go to him, he always has the ability to meet whatever the need might be, no matter how big the need is. Because for some of you, your biggest need right now might be, oh, geez, I'm 500 bucks short on my rent. Oh, my goodness, 500 bucks. And then to the other person, it might be, man, I am like $10,000 in debt. I don't know what I'm going to do. To another person, it might be, man, I'm $75,000 in debt. Are any of those numbers that they even, they're out of your arena, but are they out of God's arena? Nothing is out of God's arena. The Bible says he owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the gold and silver. You might be wearing it on your finger, on your ears or around your neck, but God actually owns it. It was his before it was yours. And so he owns everything. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is out of his ability to meet. But getting back here to the disciples, Jesus made them get into the boat while he sent the multitudes away. Now, as you remember, the disciples wanted Jesus to send them away in the first place before he fed them. Hey, don't you remember, Lord? This is our little vacation. This is our little weekend to get away to get some R&R because they were tired. But Jesus waited to send everybody away until after he miraculously fed them and met their needs. Yet what was supposed to be this nice little ride to the other side as he told them, we'll get in the boat and go to the other side and we'll try to catch up on some R&R over there. It turned out to be another nightmare as the disciples are now stuck in the middle of a storm, surrounded by the darkness of nights with the wind Whipping. They're being tossed around like a rubber duck in a blender right now. Yet all the while, verse 46 says, Jesus is on the mountain praying. Maybe they should have taken a little tip from the Lord. For they should have started praying hours ago. They should have surrounded their, you know, and surrendered their circumstances to his power and to his majesty. They should have surrendered to him. They needed to separate themselves from the treachery of the storm to embrace the security of the very one who held the very storm that they're having a problem with in his own hand. But that's not what they did. For the fear of the storm has now blinded them and they can't even see where they're at. They don't know what's happening. They don't know where the Lord is. So they continue to fight the storm in their own strength for hours. Don't you hate when you're fighting in your own strength? Because our own strength is limited. So they're fighting and they're fighting. And the Lord's just like letting them fight. The Bible says that the Lord saw them out there. Well, how could he see them? It's pitch black. He can't see anything. It's the Lord, and he sees everything. And we struggle so many times, and we fight so many things, and we just fight and fight and fight. Aren't you wore out yet? I remember this time back in Virginia when I was a salesman. I would go down onto Quantico Marine Base, and uh, there was multiple jobs that were going on, so I was out renting construction equipment, to these job sites on the Quantico Marine Base. So if I was ever down there around lunchtime, I would just take my lunch and I would go into their gym, yeah, the killer gym down there, and I would work out in their gym. And so one day I'm working out and this guy, like twice my size, he comes up to me, and he says, do you want to wrestle? And I'm thinking, no. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to wrestle. And he's like, yeah, let's wrestle. I'm like, I don't want to wrestle you. I <laughs> go I haven't wrestled since I've been like in the in the seventh grade. And he's like, Let's wrestle. And I'm like, I know, whatever, you know. So so we go upstairs and it is so hot. I mean, it's Virginia, it's humidity, it's the summertime. I mean, you know, I'm like sweating like a pig. And I got this marine that's twice my size, and he wants to wrestle. So I'm upstairs and we're on match and there's nobody else up there. And we get into this wrestling match, and I'm like, Oh my goodness, we're wrestling forever ever. I mean, it's just like, there's like, it's not like someone's got a time clock. Okay. It's break time or whatever. It's like, no, it's like, it's just this constant wrestle, wrestle. wrestle. I mean, I got this guy's load all over me. I'm like, God, get off of me. You know? It's like, and I mean, he's just sweating on me. I'm like, Oh geez. And so finally, after like 30 minutes of this continual wrestling match, I'm like, Lord, Give me strength. I gotta get this load off of me. I'm done. I mean, I was hurting every place in my body. And I finally get around and I throw this guy down and I'm one, two, three, you're out. And I get on I mean, and I walked away and I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know. God, I just couldn't believe it. And it's like the Lord's like, well, I was waiting for you to call on me, you know. So it's like you know I'm like he gave me that Samson moment. I, I had the Samson moment. But anyway, know this. These men are seasoned fishermen. Yet they're not getting anywhere in their boat. These guys were raised on the water and they can't fight their way out of this storm. Which brings up our second point. He's all-seeing eyes. Notice Mark 6:48 says, Jesus saw them straining at the oars again jesus sees everything he knows our plight he sees our weaknesses and if you find yourself you know between a rock and a hard place here today well he knows that you're there between the rock and the hard spot which might prompt you to say this well pastor If the Lord knows I'm between the rock and a hard spot for this last six months, or this last week, or this last decade, then why is the Lord not delivering me? Why doesn't he take all my problems away? Why does he leave me between the rock and the hard place? We must remember, there is no education like adversity. There is nothing that's ever going to teach us better than we're between the rock and in the heart place. It's been said, quote, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And that's a fact. You'll never know it. Unfortunately, trials, hardships, and all the difficulties in this life There are many times the only way that you and me will truly learn any of the life-changing truths that God desires to impart to you and to me. It's when God allows us to walk through the fires of life. It's when we're put into insurmountable situations. It's when we're backed in the corner when there's no other way out. It's in those times of total and complete despair that God will open the windows of heaven to us that we'll see in another dimension so that we can experience his glorious deliverance that we would never have experienced any other way. There was a young woman named Kathleen. She was a waitress at an olive garden. Let me tell you how I met Kathleen. Because it's the craziest thing ever. Like, how could God have not had his fingerprints on all of this? First of all, it's an olive garden in Georgia. Why was I... In Georgia because I had 30 high school and college students with me and we had just finished a harvest crusade at University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia, where the Bulldogs play. So we got done with the thing. So we're having a little victory dinner and we're at Chili's restaurant. We're not at Olive Garden. And so we're at Chili's and I've got 30 people to be seated at a table and they're packed. This place has got so many people in it. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like, we're going to be here till like next week before we get sat down together. So I start calling on my phone and I find an Olive Garden. that's just a couple blocks up the street. I said, hey, can you sit 30 people? I said, yeah, we actually have a room that's for banquets and no one's in there. We could seat you right now. Um, I told Chili's, see ya. Okay, so we're out of there, and we drive up the street, and we get to Olive Garden. Well, guess who our waitress was? It was Kathleen, okay? We were not even supposed to be eating there. So Kathleen was a younger girl. She was like 25, and here she's got this rowdy group of high school and college students. Imagine us being rowdy. Of course we were. Use your imagination. Anyway, and so we started joking with her and all of this stuff. So I started asking her, I go, look, we're not flying back to California until Tuesday. I go, what can we do on Monday? Like, what do you have in this state? What's a Georgia peach? You got peach pie. I mean, like, what do you do here? You know, what do you do you do for fun? She goes, well, there's a place a couple hours from here called the Georgia Gorge. And I'm like, well, what is it? She goes, well, that's a big hole. But it goes, there's all kinds of stuff to do around there. My parents have a place up there. And I'm like, I go, that sounds really cool. I said, you know, you should come with us. You could be our tour guide. And she's like, oh, yeah, right. I have to work tomorrow. You know, I'm like, oh, who's your manager? She goes, oh, that's a person over there. Oh, I walk over there. I say, this girl, you need to give her tomorrow off. She needs to be with us. She needs to hang out with us. And she's like, what? I say, can you give her tomorrow off? And she's like, Okay. And so she does. And so, so I say, okay, you got to be at our hotel tomorrow morning at seven o'clock. We're going to leave early, but we do devotions first because we get into the Bible. She's like, you get into the Bible? Yes. I want you there for Bible devotions. And she's like, oh, okay. you know. And so the next morning, Kathleen shows up, but she's just got a horrible look on her face. And I'm like, Kathleen, like, what's going on? She's like, well, after you guys left last night, I was getting ready to leave work and I got a phone call. My best friend was in a car wreck and she was killed. I'm like, what? And I mean, she's just devastated. She'd been up all night, but yet here she is at our hotel and we take her into the room and our Bible devotions surrounded around her and we just started ministering to her. So then she's going to get, you know, show us the way up to the gorge. So she's going to drive her car. So I put two of my college students, the two girls that were just street witnessing machines, two godly leaders, these two girls with her. And so they drove with her and we followed in the vans. And it's like, they just minister her for two hours driving up to the gorge. So then we do the gorge and we do all of this. Well, her parents had a place up there. So now we go to her parents' house up there. And it's like, we go inside, we bring in the guitars. Then we start having all this fellow we start worshiping and it's like we just start ministering to Kathleen and during all of that time in her deepest need and her darkest moment she gave her life to Christ I mean what is the chance of that happening? God will always reach us in our darkest moments. And I've seen these kids just love on her. This one high school kid that bought a brand new Bible, you know, to go on the trip and everything. He goes, man, I want you to have my Bible. And they were just, they were giving her t-shirts. They were giving her all kinds of stuff. And it's like, you know, that girl, we stayed in contact with her for the longest time. And I mailed her a bunch of stuff and what have you. But, you know, yes, it's through pain that God many times will speak to our hearts Know this, God has no desire to put a Band-Aid on our problems. He would much rather get to the real issue of the problem, and that is our attitude and our heart towards him understand from the experiences of my own life, along with a multitude of examples that are given to us here in the scripture, the Bible, the word of God, God will hold back his hand of blessing on us until we learn the lessons that are being taught to us through the hardships and the trials that we're facing. And until we listen to him, until we put our trust in him, It's like nothing is going to happen.
2: That's all the time we have for this message. But please join us next time as we continue in John chapter 6. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word that's Core Church LA to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you.